tired. And then a friend of mine called me, and we always get into these goofy conversations where it just, it just gets goofy. And I was thinking before she called me, I'm like, you know what? I need her to call me and I need to chat with her for a pick me up because I'm tired. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Laura, you were about to say something. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. I don't remember. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about how we're going to start the room tonight. No, I wasn't. Mm. No. Okay. So kinda, I, even though I have high energy, I mean, I have, I have manically high energy. It's not high, high. Gotcha. You know, it's like you're so tired that you're high. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. Okay. I understand completely. Yeah. Well, um, if everyone's okay with it, then I will start the room talking about. Oh, hi, Sam. I will start the room talking about what it means to be superhuman in most people's opinion. And then we can each share how we've actually experienced it. Okay, no objections? Fantastic. Awesome. Okay. So for myself, as a kid, I remember seeing things about ESP and telekinesis and, and just, you know, superhero shows. And I thought, wow, that would be so cool. I mean, do you remember the, the twins, the two purple twins on the superhero friends? They put their rings together and they turn into whatever they wanted. I thought that would be so cool. And so I always assumed that that's what would happen if we were going to move forward into these higher levels of energy and understanding. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know to call them that then, but now I, I look back, I see that's what I was anticipating. And when things started to happen, I was really surprised that it didn't happen the way I thought it would. So for one of the things I really, really, really wanted was when I watched um, Star Wars, how the bad guy, how he could put the electrical shock out his fingers and, and knock someone down to the ground. I really, really, really wanted that to actually show up because when I was doing things with people, I could feel it. But then when I would open my eyes, I would see nothing. And I really wanted it to be visible so that everybody could experience things the way I experienced them. So it wasn't that, um, it wasn't, it didn't play out the way I thought it would, being superhuman. It has been amazing, and I'll, and I'll sprinkle my little stories in as we go, but I would like to start with Leia, if that's all right, and, and get you to share some of your first superhuman experiences and what they ended up looking like. Mm, all right, well, so it, it's funny because when you don't know what your definition of human is, it's hard to say what is really superhuman. So I think when I was a child, I had all of these superhuman skills, but I just thought that everybody had them, right? I thought everyone could see things in the room that, you know, had passed on. I thought everyone could sense things. I thought everyone had the ability to read minds and, and know, know what was going to happen in the future. And it wasn't until probably I was about, uh, what's preschool age, whatever that age is. About four years old. I figured old. out, like, people don't know this. Like, nobody else knows this. Like, am I an alien? Am I from another planet? Like, where am I from? And so you've been, you've like been your whole life this way then? Yeah. Uh -huh. Nice. Yes. And, and it's, it was so fascinating to find out. So, the complication was I'm adopted. So there was this sense of like, well, where did I come from? Right. <gasps> and apparently, you know, do I have these weird magical parents somewhere that, that gave me all these skills and now I'm plopped in this kind of normal family. And so that was really fun. But as, as an adult, you know, I was just talking to some friends about this, that there's so much that we can do that we don't think we're capable of. And when we actually channel a spiritual energy or source energy, which is really nature, right? Mm -hmm. Where the trees get their life from and where everything gets their life from, we can do superhuman feats. And one of the things that my spiritual teacher taught us to do was that we had this superhuman power. And so we would hold yoga poses for what I would call like superhuman amounts of time. And the longest one that I did was holding tree pose, full tree pose, right? Hands all the way up in the air, you know, one foot on one thigh for almost an hour. Wow. And 
it's really, it was really amazing because then you're like, wow, if my body can do this, what else can my body do? Now, can I ask and you, did you, else? did you work up to that or did you just one day start from maybe you could do it for three minutes and then suddenly you did it for an hour? Um, it was more like from 15 minutes to an hour. Gotcha. Because it finally clicked how to do it. <sighs> Nice. So I would get to that, like, because so, it's the first part of it, you're doing it, like you're muscling through it, right? You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then there's a point that you surrender and allow the, allow nature to do it for you. It's probably the best way I can explain that. And very nice. when you hit that moment, then, then you could just hang out there for an indefined amount of time. And it's possible I could have gone longer. That was sort of when we stopped the, the experience. And what, what that led to was then kind of looking at what other ways could I be superhuman. So the other thing that I did that was fairly superhuman, although there's probably people who've done this and don't even think it's superhuman, was I did a 21-day meditation retreat in the jungle of Costa Rica. And the last five days we did sleep deprivation. So we did 18 hours of meditation a day and we didn't sleep. And that's a long time to not sleep. Like the brain starts doing some really different things and you start recognizing like what skill sets you have that are really like mind driven versus the things that when you allow your spirit to kind of lead and, and drive the bus, what happens? Wow. Oh, that's so very, very interesting. And after we get some of the other people's experiences, I would like to come back to you still and ask you more details about what it felt like to hold the tree pose. Like, did you, how you turned your mind off or how you turned your body on and such. But, um, before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and jump over to Phoenix. Well, hello there. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I have a little bit of an allergy today, too. Uh, let's see. My experiences when I was younger. Okay, like you, Christine, um, I did a lot of, uh, well, you mentioned the Wonder Twin Powers. Uh, Wonder Twins, I think they're called. Uh, yes. I really enjoyed that show, Wonder Twin Powers Activate. Um, but I did, I practiced Star Wars stuff as well. Um, I never really wanted to put lightning bolts on anybody, but I definitely wanted to move objects uh, with the force. So I played around with the force a little bit, you know, kind of wishing and hoping and really trying. And in fact, even as an adult earlier today, when I was sitting outside, I, I needed uh, something and I couldn't quite reach it. And it was tapping in on it and, uh, you know, playing with it. But uh, I think the first time that I actually came into some recognition of some healing powers, I guess you would say, is uh, about 25 years ago, um, I noticed that I could put my hands on people. And um, somehow, and I can't tell you exactly how, but uh, heal places on them. Um, like a friend of mine had some nerve damage from shingles and I don't know that I, you know, healed it permanently, but intuitively was able to bring her some like physical relief in the moment. And I noticed, uh, and people started noticing that I could do that. So I started to do it more and never fully understood what was going on. I do know that I, to this day, I still, I, I'm really careful about who I, uh, touch and, um, you know, but when I started drinking again, I, I lost all of that, that sort of connection. Mm. Now that I'm sober again, you know, it's, it's coming back, but it's a pandemic and, and I don't have people that, uh, I'm not physically close with anybody. So, you know, I don't really know. Mm, I have a suggestion that, then if what you could try okay, next is, okay. is doing things at a distance. So getting somebody that you feel connected to and then try, just imagine that they're there and you are touching them and see if they can feel anything different. I think that would be the best way to open up for you right now. That's a great idea. Yeah, I could try that. Sure. Nice. So Do I you, have a, you could practice on animals maybe. 
That's true, and I have thought about that. We've got uh, the two cats here. I, I try to, you know, one of them is fairly, um, he has a he has a very unique personality, and he's very willful, and I have tried to sort of settle into his experience and try to show him some things or comfort him in a certain way, you know, but it's really honestly hard hard for me to tell. Interesting. So, but yeah, I definitely will do the uh, the experiment you you talked about, Christine. Cool. So, I'm going to share some of my superhuman experiences that go along with what we've said so far, and one of them is dealing with animals. After I had my heart attack and I came back and was sitting in the house one day, I the dogs were barking outside and they were just nonstop, and I thought to myself, God, I wish they would just stop, and. In my head, the picture formed of them sitting quietly, and suddenly the dog stopped barking. And I thought, oh my goodness, is that real? Did that really just happen? And so it was really nice that the dogs allowed me to play with them for a while, and they would let me put an image into their head, and they would cooperate. And that went on for maybe two weeks. And then one day they said to me, you're imposing on our free will, and you're going to have to stop. <laughs> so it was really nice of them to teach me this skill and let me practice with them. But then one day after they told me that, I they were barking and I was like, ah, stop barking. And they showed me, instead of sitting down, they showed me themselves standing up and barking louder. And that's exactly what they did. So I think that is really interesting idea of, you know, practicing with animals because they are very responsive and they can give you a lot of um interaction that, that another human being might be intimidated to, to do with you. And so let's jump to Aubrey. I know you have something small, even though you don't like to share. What, what is my small thing, Christine? <laughs> <laughs> so you have this, I'll, I'll tell you, and then you'll, you'll be able to be like, oh, I didn't know that was it. You have this thing that you can do where you become very intimidating. What? Ah. <gasps> You don't recognize this in yourself? No. Okay. What? So Aubrey is super sweet. Anybody that hasn't had a chance to get to know her. But there'll be times where she'll feel intimidated by other people. And so she'll make herself larger. And when she expands this largeness about herself, other people back down. Now do you recognize it? Yeah, that's, actually. That's totally true. That's what happened at BEA. Right? <laughs> So see if you can expand on that a little, how that feels, what, what causes, because I don't even know that you do it on purpose. It's, I think it's an inherent reaction. No, I don't think I would do that on purpose. It must just be like, for me, it's like the whole fight or flight thing. It's like, if I'm uncomfortable, I automatically go into like defense mode. And I guess that might just be my personal defense mechanism. Interesting. Now, I also know you have strong empathic skills as well. How about you um, tell us about some of those? So I actually wrote that down because I was like, I need to talk about this. So I can vividly remember when I was about 12 years old, um, my parents had a baby girl, so my baby sister, and it took them 12 years to get me a baby sister, and I was so excited because I have two brothers, and I call her my bookend because we're both, you know, on the, we're, I'm the oldest, she's the youngest. And, um, she, and I don't agree with this, and other people do what they want when they parent, but my parents always did the cry it out thing with her. And I had a bedroom next to her, and I just remember laying awake at night, and my heart just hurt so badly because she would just be crying and crying and crying. And I just, like, it literally was, like, hurting me. And my parents would get upset with me if I went in there to comfort her. And so I remember laying in bed one night just picturing in my head, like, comfort her love her with your you know your spirit and I did and I would do that every single night and at first it took a while and then after you know me practicing every night it would only take a couple of minutes and that was something from when I was younger and then I don't know what happened to me but I completely lost all connection to that until about 2017 when I had a really invasive surgery that Christine actually helped me through and I, I remember calling her and Laura like a couple days after my surgery and being like, uh, I think something's weird with me. Like I'm feeling like everything and I can, you know, my intuition just got so strong. Me being able to send healing energy, I suppose, 
just really took over and it was just like so much stronger and Christine was like yeah I forgot to mention you know you might have a little extra from the other side when you come back and I was like oh yeah I got it and so I mean I am so stubborn I am the most stubborn person I know and so over the past few years I've been like I'm gonna do it no I'm not I'm gonna do it no I'm not I'm ready and then I'm not and so that's just how I've been. Um, but this time I am ready and I've been really working hard on strengthening my intuition because I think that me is something that is the strongest. And I typically know things before they happen. I know when someone is lying. I always do. I know when someone's upset with me. Just those kind of things I just know. And uh, my, I guess he's my husband now. Sorry, we got married like over the phone a couple weeks ago so it's hard <laughs> I forget oh yeah we're married <laughs> wow uh, but I know Elliot I love you babe uh he is has a very scientific brain so for him to like experience these kind of things he just 100% if I say something about someone or I'm like they're thinking this this and this he just knows to believe me now because I'm usually <laughs> right nice very nice Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> now, um, well, you said something that I wanted to to go back to. Uh, it slipped my mind. If I if I think of it, I'll bring you back. Uh, let's go ahead okay. and jump to. Gosh, I'm torn between Monica and Samuel. Whoever releases their mic first gets to talk. Oh, there you go, Sam. Come on, tell us tell us some of your stuff. I was gonna hold out for Monica because I know <laughs> she was gonna hold out. So I just wanted to see how long that was gonna last. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, right. So when I was a kid, so a couple things, more like um, when I was a kid, I was always fascinated, not fascinated, but I didn't want to be afraid. And kind of all my heroes were not so much superheroes, but I'd watch like Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood in it, and he just wasn't afraid of anything, you know, and I'm like, oh, I need to be that guy right there. Nice. And what happened like in high school, how that manifested is I was an awful football player. And uh, skinny and just not strong and not coordinated, but I was going to do it. Um, and because it scared me. And so, like tackling drills, I would always be first in line against the man-eating star linebacker who outweighed me by 250 pounds. So I just went at things like that, trying to discover why I was afraid, how to overcome it. And if I did it, I would overcome it. It wasn't until later, I think, and that's been a theme even now when I do the some of the physical activities I do now I'm still kind of scientifically trying to figure out what the fear thing is like let me bring myself out of my comfort zone until I get that little bit of mental panic and can I use my powers to calm it down and and overcome mm. and keep an equilibrium which is which is the goal you know just I can I'm in charge and I don't have to be afraid of 400 burpees if I don't want to be Right. So let me um, ask you a little bit. Is it is it more the physical pain or do you get bored with or you just don't think you have the endurance? What is it that you're actually pushing your limits on? Um, I am, you know, the mind is so vast. And if the mind decides it's not going to be stopped, you know, um, it won't be. You can overcome what the body tells you, you know, the body, the, the mind will quit before the body does. So it's that thing kind of discovering how far can I go. And I just generally don't like things that intimidate me, you know, um, physical activity wise. So I'm just going to go do it and I'm not going to be afraid of it anymore. It's like that. Nice. Um, so kind of like the, the final frontier, I guess, sort of theory, like, well, how far can I push myself? Mm -hmm. You know, can I do it? And I always hit a wall where I'm grumbling. Oh my God, I can't believe I signed up for this. This is awful. I'm not having a good time. But that was the point to confront that, that voice saying, I don't want to be here because I'm uncomfortable and finding the faculties that we have as humans and spirit to keep going. Nice. Now, I, I know there's another superhuman thing in you, and I would like to go ahead and bring that up if you're okay with me pushing you a little. Of course, of course. So you have a connection to emotions that not a lot of people have. But the thing is, you tend to hold them really tight. So I want to know, when you feel the emotions of others and of yourself and you're holding them tight, what is the purpose of that? I, yeah, I've retrained myself to, to accept that emotionality about, my, about me. Mm -hmm. 
raised to, to raised to sweep them under the rug. I think if I'm in an, in a one-to-one -one setting in a room with someone, I won't hold back. But uh, if I feel there's a social construct that says this guy can't be that emotional or I may lose control, if it's something like I'm feeling anger or rage based on protectiveness, um, I still haven't gotten to the point, not with loving emotions, because I'm not afraid to show my loving emotions, my compassionate emotions, but some of the Some of the more uh, maybe the more aggressive ones. The more aggressive ones, where I don't know what I would do, and so I control them and hold them tight. Now, do you see the connection to your to the way you push yourself to the to that also connecting to the the emotions that you hold back on? Do you see how they kind of yin and yang into each other? Yeah, I, I'm beginning to realize that. Yeah, whenever I have a surge of something that upsets me, the next thing I know, I'm I'm off on one of my adventures pushing myself and I'm not really going inside and touching it because it seems too big and powerful. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's interesting. You found a physical way to represent that emotional part of yourself. So the superhuman can be then utilized to create something new. Yes. If I can discover how to transmute it into that. And... Uh, and kind of take off the controls, you know, that I seem to have. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Nice, very nice. Well, thank you, Sam. Well, thank you for, for bringing me there. <laughs> All right, Monica, you're up. Hi. So, Sam, <laughs> thank you for going ahead of me because I was just finishing up a note that I wanted to um, make sure that I didn't forget for this. So, thank you. <laughs> okay, so... Um, the longer everybody's talking, the more things I keep coming up with. And, um, okay, so in preschool, I knew, I just knew that all I wanted to do was help people feel better when they're down. And so a lot of my life since then has revolved around that. So maybe through grade three or four, I got a clear message that I didn't really feel things as others did. And I wondered about that a lot. I didn't really fully understand um, what that meant. And, and I wondered, how do others feel things how do I feel things that's so different than they do and I didn't really fully understand at the time that my, my emotional world was much deeper than a lot of other people so um so as a child my x-men inspiration was the mental abilities of Xavier mm -hmm. and um rogue with the ability to take on emotions and sort of empathic abilities so mine was about understanding others and helping them navigate their emotional inner world like when they're down like how can I help them navigate out of it faster and um and a lot of my life I was very preoccupied with understanding that so um okay so for example there was a time when I was 14 I was chatting with a group of friends outside and it was all very light and happy and then one more person came into the circle and I suddenly started to talk about you know how frustrating and rude some people are and I was just feeling up all um all this anger and, and just um and it wasn't there a second ago and um I just kept talking about like you know how some people are just unbelievable like how do some people why do they do things like that and the whole time I'm wondering, why why am I angry suddenly? Where's this coming from? This isn't me. And then suddenly the guy that approached us starts saying, yeah, he just spoke with some person and what she said and that it was so unbelievably rude and horrible. And then I thought, oh, that <laughs> makes sense. That was him. Now, Monica, okay. do you find that yes. proximity changes this or do, does, ta does the distance between you and someone else not make a difference? Um... It really can be either or. Like if it's somebody that I'm close with, I oh that brings me to my next thing that I was gonna mention. Okay. Um, I'm my my thing is also I have at times even as a kid played with remote viewing. Now this can be into somebody's mind, but only respectfully, only if I'm invited or you know if they're higher self or whatever the case says it's okay like I, it's like you don't trespass you don't go into somebody's house without permission you don't go into their purse or pockets same with their energy field especially there nice very nice of you well it, it, universe
reverse the law or whatever the case it's it you just have to right um mm-hmm. and that's something that i've always um instinctively understood it's like is this okay is it okay for me to come and if it's yes okay then you know like it was more of like a service thing even when i was very little um so so anyway so suddenly i realized that this is from him and i'm like okay yeah now that makes sense and i i realized that not everybody um could do this and i realized you know you don't necessarily talk about it but i didn't really see that as like a superhuman thing it just seemed like okay well that's what i wanted to do and i've been asking for expanding my energy field for a long time and and i don't know how i knew this as a kid because i wasn't surrounded by you know very deeply emotionally spiritually aware people it's just something that you know what i didn't even know what an empath was but i knew that's what i was i just didn't realize that it was something that was different right about that and that actually opens up the door for me to share something about the way science is proving um, empathic skills. Lately, they've been really trying to identify, you know, why are some people more empathic than others? Why are some people uh, senders and why are some people receivers? And they've been able to show that it's that they would say that we're not all empathic. But when you look deeper into it, what you find out is that we are and those people that become stronger with these skills are they have a need. So, for instance, someone who's a receiver probably needed, so like yourself, Monica, probably needed that in order to manage their experience in life. And then I have one of my daughters, a huge sender. She was the baby in the family. And she didn't need to receive from others because everybody gave to her readily. And so she just started controlling people with her ability to send information. It was, it's really interesting when you look into this. There's a lot of research on, well, on not that I've read on the empathic side, but that's actually very interesting. Um, but on, on other things, like the, the skills we develop in life are the ones that we sort of um, need. So that's very interesting. Um, I, I mean, to me, it just seemed like a very natural thing, but I, I didn't understand why others didn't really go that deep or that they why they didn't have that compassion mm-hmm. um well monica if you can um take a minute to think about this i'm going to jump to laura but that we can come back to okay. you for this what i'd like you to consider is try to find your youngest memory where you wanted or needed to know something about someone else so that you could console them or help them okay okay awesome thank you so laura how about you give us a couple of your i know you got a, a real mountain of them so give us a couple of your um, superhuman moments. You're funny, a whole mountain of them. <laughs> oh, why don't you tell me? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so I didn't know that, you know, like, I, I actually didn't know that I was doing anything different than most other people for quite a while. I thought that what I could do was quite normal. And I still think it's quite normal. Um, And the more I get into it, the more normal it becomes. It's just that, you know, we block ourselves from being able to actually see who we are. Um, But that said, like, I remember when I was in grade school growing up and I would hang out with my friends and my, my family. And, you know, some of my family had these abilities, too. So it was still quite normal. And we would make predictions. And, you know, we would have... Like, we would be in the playground and have these, you know, swing sets and things for people to sit on. And we'd have, you know, we'd say, hey, let's see who can guess who's going to sit where. So, you know, one person would be the guesser. They'd have the person next to them that we would say, okay, she's going to sit there. She's going to sit there. He's going to sit. You know, we would do that. And then we would call the group of kids over and say, okay, come on over now. And they would all sit there. And then we would measure ourselves to see if we were accurate or not. And I was always really accurate on that. So, I mean, we we did these games as kids, not knowing that they weren't typical games. I actually, I still don't know if they're typical. Are those kinds of games typical? I don't think they're common. How about the rest of the panel? Well, flash your mics if this was common for you to play these kinds of games. Yeah, see, everyone's still... Yeah, it was really, really common for us. I don't know if I just got with a special group of kids or what, um, but it seemed to follow me wherever I went because I changed schools quite a bit. 
Um, and I, and I, you know, I heard you make recommendations with Phoenix. I was kind of like, uh, I worked on animals quite a bit, you know, with my hands. I helped, you know, that's the first where I learned to use the healing energy in my hands with, was with my dogs. Nice. Uh, and then from there I went to people. And then, you know, as I, as I grew older in college and high school, high school and college, we had parties and I taught people how to see energy and do stuff with energy. And it was a lot easier and more accessible, accessible to them when they were drinking or something. <laughs> so that's when I was like, Hey, you can see energy now. <laughs> oh, you know, that's so funny. You bring up the drinking because I wasn't a drinker, but I would be next to people. And that, I think that's one of my superhuman skills is I can sit next to somebody who's drunk and be just as drunk as them. I mean, literally, I, yeah. I stumble, I fall, and everything because I'm I'm so empathic of what they're going through. Interesting, right? I have that same ability. I was always designated the designated driver, and I'm like, okay, I can designate drive you, but I have to get away from you guys for 30 minutes so I can drive. <laughs> right? <laughs> Looks like Leia and possibly Aubrey have had some of these experiences, too. Yeah. And then as I grew older and I met you... Um, I did, I, you know, I denied myself quite a bit because I kept hearing, not from my parents, but from teachers and from people in schools and, you know, my peers, oh, that's just in your imagination. That's just in your imagination. So I really discounted what, you know, was real and what mm -hmm. was imaginary. And finally, whenever I, you know, when you and I started working together and then I met more people and we started having mutual dreams and we started having you know, corresponding experiences at the same time, I started realizing this is actually not just my imagination. Cause if it were all these other people wouldn't be in on it too. Right. That, that is, that's why I think communicating these experiences with each other really helps because to see the similarities and the timing of everything, it, it changes the faith in your reality. Yeah. So there was one point where I was like, okay, well, this is real. And so I jumped off the deep end. And ever since then, ever since I jumped off the deep end and decided to, to believe, that's when my world just opened up magically. And then I can take a, a look back at my life and I can see I've always been doing that. Nice. Thank you so much, Laura. That's some really good sharing. And You're I do, I do know too, that Laura's had a lot of amazing um, out-of-body experiences, but also taking her body with her experiences. So if we have time, we'll get back to some of those. Um, I just want to okay. throw in another superhuman thing. So it, when uh, Samuel mentioned, you know, you push your body, and so did and Leah, and I thought, well, how come some people can handle pain and others can't? And so I started paying attention and, and starting to push my body because I had multiple sclerosis, and and I was in such pain that, it was nonstop all day long, and the amount of medication I would have had to take to make to to uh, handle the pain was going to destroy my body. My liver and my other organs would um, basically be broken in less than ten years. So I had to look at other things, and I was I learned too how to okay communicate with my cells. See, at first I thought I was just pushing my body, but I realized I was communicating with my cells and saying, "Hey, I know you you're in pain. I know you're hurting." But I need to not feel that so that I can function. And they would literally cooperate. And I thought that was so interesting. And so I started pushing even more. And I started looking at, uh, I used to continually get burned, like on the oven and such. Because with multiple sclerosis, I was, uh, my, my signals to my body would malfunction. And I would move my hand in a different direction than I wanted to because of the nerve damage I had. And before I healed the nerve damage, I started looking at, okay, look, I'm constantly burning myself and I don't like this. And I started to actually learn how to stop the burn as it touched the skin. So I, that's, to me, this is my most fascinating superhuman ability is to literally stop a burn, uh, what would be a third degree burn by simply holding still in time, letting the body heal itself before I let my brain move forward. And it just, boom, it doesn't exist anymore. So I have a couple of pieces out there that I, I sent all of you guys to think about and bring back to me. Uh, I know, Leah, are you ready to speak again? Sure. 
do you want to reset the room? I noticed we've got some wonderful new listeners in here. Oh, I would love it if you would do that for me. All right. Well, welcome everyone who's joined us. This is the New Earth Network, and we are talking today about becoming superhuman, which is really about sinking deep into accepting and recognizing and expressing your spiritual gifts, which actually are gifts that are available to every single human, but we don't always cultivate those or recognize that. Nice. Thank you. You're welcome. So you had a question for me, Christine? Oh, darn if I didn't, I didn't write it down. I was hoping you were going to remember what I asked you to come back with. Oh, no I, problem. Oh. I, can, I can jump back in on a couple different things. So oh, I yes. absolutely have that same feeling that I can sit with friends when they're drinking and feel the effects, which is so, which makes my evening out so much less expensive than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> And I have no hangover in the morning. It's delightful. Yeah, no body so, impact, huh? That's very nice. Right? It's it's really nice. It's I had never even thought about that, but I was like, oh, yeah, how can I be out with my... Now, I will say that I've gotten to the point now where I don't enjoy that feeling mm. because it's, it's so much a lower vibration Agreed. for me. My impression of it is that it's a lower vibration than how I typically spend my time. Right, I and agree. where I normally am. So it's almost like it slows me down. And so I I don't have a lot of people that I hang out with that still, you know, imbibe at those large levels. But um, yes, that was really, that was interesting and fun to hear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things about feeling this superhumanness is recognizing that everybody has these qualities and it's how much have they recognized them within themselves. You know, mm-hmm. I've met a lot of people who'll say like, oh yeah, you know, my sister, you know, my sister got injured and she was under a car and I just picked it up off of her. Right. Well, you know, picking up a thousand pound or what is it? 3000 pound car is not something that most of us would say that's a human thing. It's a superhuman thing. But we're able to do these things because we actually have the abilities. We just don't believe that we do. So I think one of the things, you know, the first step to anybody who wants to develop their superhuman skills is to actually start believing they have them. Curious what the rest of you think about that. Oh, I think that's a great point. How about you, Kayla? Do you want to weigh in on that? Hmm, she might be just, oh, there you go. Do you want to weigh in on how um, superhuman beliefs tend, you have to actually believe in it in order to recognize it and to build on it? Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, you know, uh, my favorite thing, you know, that I've heard is, you know, what Walt Disney said, you got to believe in magic to see it, which is uh, absolutely true. So, as a human being, you know, we can only do so much uh, as to what we believe in. So I know for my, for myself, being able to sit and know that, you know, I can see and feel and hear what a person is, is um, experiencing or going through, um, that's the whole reason why it's possible. Anytime that I've shifted out of that and gone back um, back on my beliefs to take, take on others' beliefs, um, the ability has completely gone. Right. Um, so just, you know, playing with that through experience has proven that, yeah, you definitely have to uh, believe that something is possible in order for it to be. Right. So another thing I'd like to ask you, Kayla, is when you became a mother, I think that you actually learned that you were more superhuman than you thought you were, that you were able to expand in even more directions. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. what. Like. Oh, so let me give you some for instances to help you come to the, to the direction I'm going. So when you have a child, you have telepathic connection with that child, and you have whole conversations with them, and you're educating them without even speaking. And as a mom... You can see that your child is comfortable with you, that they understand you. And then when somebody else tries to interfere, 
the child is drawn back to you. Uh, you know, different experiences like that where you recognize that you've been communicating all along even though you hadn't thought about it. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Um, gosh, and, and I do, it's like, it's so like nonchalant, don't even pay attention to it, especially, um, I'm, I'm big on making sure that she understands she has her boundaries and she, she has them, please hold them. And um, when it comes to like her saying bye or going to give people a hug, if someone forces themselves like on her, like, we have that communication. It's like, I'm like, no, you don't have to. And I can watch her, like, slide away and wither away and hold her boundary. And it's pretty neat. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Very nice. It's, it's such an amazing thing. Yeah. And then even, you know, like, the telepathic thing, like, with my own sister, um, that happens. That's always happened um, all throughout our lives. Um even to the point where, you know, a few years ago, she was out at a, a club doing her thing, and I was home with her kid, and I woke up in the middle of the night so angry um, and checking to, to see where she was. And then and I didn't understand why I was angry at the time, and I went downstairs, and I hung out for a second. I checked on her kid to make sure he was okay. Um, I was woken up by hearing footsteps and somebody saying, Mommy, Mommy, and something grabbed my foot and kind of pulled me down the bed, right? Uh, well, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, well, what is going on? So I went downstairs, I sat for a second, and as I'm walking up the stairs, my thoughts are, okay, well, if something if something really happens, then there's the um, life insurance, and it's this much, but is it is it enough for for the kid and what needs to happen? And I'm, I'm like, wait, why am I having these thoughts? And I was still so angry, and I'm like, where are all these thoughts coming from, right? Because I'm like where is she? Something's wrong. This is not okay. She shouldn't be out like that. Mm -hmm. So then I go, I lay down. And, um, in the morning she got home and went to bed right before I woke up. And then I checked Facebook and I guess there had been a shooting and the man that was just a few feet away from her got shot. And I was like, Oh, wow. Wow. That's very intense. Wow. Thank you so much, Kayla. She was going through all of that because we, we, I only got to hear part of that, Kayla. There was a poor connection, but she was going through all of that. And then, so did she share with you more of it later on? Yeah. And she was, she said she was having those thoughts. Um, and she just confirmed it's the same thing. You know, she was, she wanted me to um, purchase a house in my name for her. Two days prior to that, I, I got her thoughts. So I made the decision there. And two days later, she was like, Hey, so this is my idea. I was like, yeah, I already know the answer is yes. <laughs> Delightful. Um, she's like, oh, okay. So it happens quite often. Oops, Kayla, your signal's really low. I'm going to go ahead and uh, say thank you because we can't hear the rest of what you're saying. Uh, but I really appreciate you um, bringing your story to us. Okay, and thank you. Let's see, Monica, we have thank to go you. back. To thank you. Thank you back to you and do you I should really write down when I tell you guys to bring me another story so I don't have to I think about it, it. I wrote it down. Awesome. Uh, Thank you. to me was my youngest memory of needing to understand uh, someone's feelings in order to help them so um, I kept thinking of other examples and um, okay can you hear me okay I just got a slow signal message so I kept thinking of other examples and then I re remembered this one example of when I was very very little where I was not able to figure out what was going on because I was really too little. I, I might have been two or three or four years old. I really don't know. Um, and I remember um, my uncle was over. This was my favorite uncle that I worshipped him <laughs> completely. Um, he was probably my favorite person in the world. And he came over and um, I, I realized at one point he was crying and my mom was hugging him, um, went over to hug him. And I asked why he was crying. And they told me he had a fly in his eye. Um, and I and I sat there looking at them. I'm like, that's not a reason that somebody would cry. And But I didn't understand the concept of, well, they're, they're lying to me. I was too little to understand <laughs> that, you know, they're not telling me the truth. And, and I just sat there trying to understand and trying to understand, but I, I couldn't understand. But I knew that wasn't the reason. Mm -hmm. and, and so what did you do? Uh, how did you act on this? 
um, at that age, I was way too young to be able to do anything, but that was actually the youngest that I was able um, to remember. I have other examples of when I was much older, um, but this was the absolute youngest when I was trying to understand um, so you could what feel, was happening. Right, so what you're saying is you could feel him and you were drawn to him, and then when you questioned it, that's when they shared the lie with you instead of being open. Yes, yes. Like, I, I knew something was wrong, um, but I could not, I was too little to understand um, or even contemplate what could possibly be wrong. It's just, it was, I was very, very little. Right, I understand. Good, good. Okay, good. awesome. And then uh, you say you have one other you'd like to share? Um, I, I, a couple of other fun superpowers I had as a kid that I would just play games with. I'd play um, I remember I played a game with my dad when I was maybe, I don't know, 11 or so. And I read his mind on something that surprised me. And I've done that once in a while since. Um, and so I remember like sort of flying over into his mind to ask his mind a question. And then I'd tell him out loud what my question was and what the answer was. And turns out I got it right. And um, another fun. time I remember playing softball in elementary this was a little later in elementary and you know we'd have fun and then get bored but to keep it fun i would try to maneuver the energy especially when when i was hitting the ball or when the other team would be hitting the ball i would try to really strongly man move the energy so that they missed the ball which is not the nicest <laughs> thing to do and i couldn't and i couldn't always do it but sometimes i could but i could i could literally see the energy as it was moving and i knew whether they would hit the ball or not because the energy either lined up or it didn't. Right. But I oh. knew every time, and it was it was sometimes a matter of will. How determined were they that they will hit the ball, and how determined was I? And then if I made myself, if I was able to make myself much bigger, how much bigger was their will versus mine? And I'd try to make myself bigger, and sometimes I would win, but sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, no, I'm not, you know, I'm too scared. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting that you would, that that would even occur to you. To, to use that and to act on that. Yeah, the, so there was like a lot of these fun little games I played, but I mean, to me it was just, you know, keeping myself from being bored standing there for, you know, as long as you did during <laughs> softball. Um, and I, I have actually, you know, a whole bunch of other funny stories like that, but probably more um, then we'd have time to even get into, but right. it was just fun games. So back to what Leah was saying. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. It's what your belief system is. It's like, well, if you're just, if you're sitting there playing, you know, it, you're not, you're not as limited by your belief. We create our reality and, and we do, you know, whether we want to experience something fun or, or we want to believe that something is horrible, that's what we will create. And that's what we will experience. Right. Yeah. Thank so, you so much for sharing that. I agree with with the panel on that as well. And yeah. from my experience, I found that as a child, um, I was into that, you know, experimenting and trying all kinds of things. And then people started to tell me, oh, you know, what a great imagination you have. And I was like, oh, but I thought imagination was when you pretended and it wasn't real. And, and so I went from these things that I was doing that I knew were real to telling myself, oh, these things are not real. And then subjugating myself to the beliefs of others. And can I add something to that? Mm -hmm. Always, always since, uh, I don't know since what age, this is not something I ever discussed with anybody else. For some reason, I knew not to discuss it with others. It's like, well, this is not really a big deal, but others don't feel things the way I do. So don't discuss it with them. Mm. I knew not to talk about it. And so, you know what, that's probably why, because there's many people who say, you know, others are like, well, that was just a bad dream. Well, it was just this or that or imagination. It's not real. Right. And then we take on that belief because that's, you know, the adult, that's the, you know, mm -hmm. um, what we want to learn from. So we I decide, okay, it's not real. And we shut that down ourselves. Right. And so working with kids um, over the last, well, probably the last 10 years working with children, I noticed that when they're given the safe space, that they will expand on things. But there's there's another side to that that might be part of what helped you know not to do certain things. Is I noticed when people are more active this way at a younger age, anywhere from say two to six, there always seems to be somebody else with them. 
that's not in body, that's, um, you know, guiding them a little bit more than, say, a, a someone else. And, uh, yeah, Leah, if you have some information on this, I would love for you to chime in. Well, I, I had seven different beings that were with me for as long as I can remember, and they stayed with me until I was 14. And they taught me all kinds of things, and they actually initially gave me a lot of the information that I had and was sharing. And when I when I shared some very sensitive information about the neighbors, my mom said, where did you learn that from? And I told her, and she goes, well, your imaginary friends do not have information. Where did you learn that from? And I said, no, like, I'm telling you, like, that's who told me. And she goes, okay, here's the deal. She's like, you were born with the veil over your face and you never tell anyone that you know this stuff and you never talk about your imaginary friends. Don't let anyone know because they will persecute you. Wow. And so from that point forward, I kept all of it to myself. Like she basically validated that it was real, but that somehow it was this bad thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was something that, I, I mean, I would, I would spend hours with these beings and, and actually there's a super funny story. I was, um, way ahead of the kids in class when I went to preschool and so they would have to give me extra things to do to keep me uh -huh. occupied. And so I was supposed to clean out the gerbil cage. So I took the gerbil cage into the bathroom and me and my beings got in a water fight in the bathroom and <laughs> there was water everywhere, everywhere. And the teacher walks in, of course, cause I've been gone a long time and they're like, what are you doing? And of course I'm just like, oh my gosh, what do I do? <laughs> like, and I'm like, um, the water got everywhere. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Oh and my they were goodness. All like, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. Right. So it was the, it was the funniest thing because, and it was one of the few times when they actually interacted physically with me because I'd never, you know, they moved certain things around occasionally in my room and stuff like that. But in terms of like the throwing of the water and like actually moving that around a room, that was the only time I really remember something that significant and that they impacted. So, but yeah, it was definitely, I had, I had those beings. They left when I was 14. The last thing they told me was to stop eating meat, which I did. And they haven't been back since then. Yeah, I find that too. You reach a certain age and they do leave, but it's even, it can be even bigger than that. Um, the, the beings that taught me as an adult, some of the healing techniques that I learned, they said, okay, now um, you know this, it's, it's your responsibility, keep, you know, keep doing your own thing with it. And they, had, they said, there's other people, so we, we need to move on to these other people because we know you can stand alone, you're strong enough. So I think, Leah, that was probably a big part of it is they knew you were strong enough, they knew you were ingrained and entrenched and you weren't going to give this connection up. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things that they used to tell me, because I didn't have anybody else around me as a child that, that was like me, like Laura was talking about. And and what they said to me was lighthouses are never placed close to one another. Ah, yeah. And it really, really, like, I really remembered that after they left. And I was like, I looked up lighthouses and I remembered for a while being kind of obsessed with lighthouse pictures and the purpose of lighthouses and um yeah. But it was very, it was very true. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and now we're all coming together because now we need to convene in one place. Whereas before we were kind of on the outskirts, kind of holding, I, I almost think it's of it as holding like a light grid yes. while others kind of woke up to their own gifts. You know, and that brings up another point too, is a lot of times with autistic children or um, people with other issues that we as what we call normal human don't have these issues because we all function similarly. We don't recognize what their skills and their talents are. And one of the things I have found by working with children who were nonverbal is that they were literally lighthouses. They were holding the space at a higher level to help transform the earth. And I know we get to have that experience, but they that's that's what they do all day long their entire lives is to hold that level and that's part of the reason they're not functioning at this other level because if they reduce their vibration to function where the regular human is standing 
then they're not capable of that high intensity energy that's helping bring us into this new experience. Monica, did you have something to say about that? Yes, um, Leah, that was amazing and all of that. And um, there's actually a wonderful book I read, The Children of Now. It's a wonderful book. And if anybody wants to look deeper into this, it's a great read. It's fascinating. This um, this woman would have all these children, all these orbs um, around her. And turns out it was these children with, you know, all sorts of handicaps and um they were just these little, you know, lighthouses, if you will, and absolutely amazing, magical little beings. They tell, she'd get calls from their parents out of the blue, you know, and these parents would say to her, you know, I don't really know why I'm calling you, but my child who has such and such, um, you know, handicap or disability or something, um, told me I have to call you and I apologize. I'm really not sure why I'm calling you. And she, and then she'd figure out that child is the blue orb that's been hanging around with her for a few weeks or a few months. And um, it was absolutely amazing. And I have a little story to share on that. There was um, a friend's son um, has Down syndrome. And we, I, I went over there one time to visit and I, I don't know what was happening but I, I was just really, really down. And I was just trying to put on a smile and a good face. And I remember teenage boy at the time, maybe 15, he walked past me and he was just kind of looking at me kind of funny. He didn't really communicate too much, didn't speak too much, but he was just kind of looking at me a little funny and he kept walking and walking. And then out of the blue, this is when I had first met them, he just comes right over and just grabs me and gives me the biggest hug mm. and I thought oh yeah. my god I could just feel his heart it was just so sweet but then he just put his hand on my shoulder stepped back and looked deep into my eyes and I'm like oh my god I understand thank you and this was that the telepathic communication that suddenly happened that kind of blew me away um like th this wasn't a, a teenage boy this was some magical little being telling me hey i got you i i see you here nice yeah i, I do and, and it was this deep communication that just came from his eyes it was it was just something else just completely stunned right i find that to be true too when i come across sorry go ahead when i come across individuals that they do have a lot to say and when they find somebody who can hear them that it's very christine um, joyful. i think you're Oh. Yeah, Dean, you're fading out. Phoenix, you had something you wanted to share? Christine, your signal is a little bit messed up right now. Just, we can't hear you. Okay. Okay, so with the room. She's doing kind of the robot sound. <laughs> uh, I know this. On Christine, the recording, I'm, I'm going to you'll hear that we've had a lot of technical difficulties this call with the weather. Christine, we didn't get a lot of what you just said, just so you know, okay? Um, I'd like to jump in for a quick second. Um, as far as, I kind of like to speak on the... Um, the neurodivergent thing, I have a diagnosis that I, I received. And um, as far as um, I know that when I was young, I felt I felt no need to talk. I felt like it was um, a lower vibration. I felt like it was something uh, it wasn't necessary. And I and I really didn't understand why so many people talked. And because I've I, I've I recognized that, you know, there are more concise ways to, to communicate and words for as much as I love words, um, they weren't, they weren't, they aren't necessary. And, and I know that we all, from what I can tell, we all agree that, you know, we're all powerful beings with gifts. And, and when I talk about that with people, they, they like to say, they, they, they respond, no, you're, you're special, you're gifted, you're able to do, you know, all these things. And, and, and I, and I, I'm, I'm never really sure how to respond because I don't believe that. I think we've along the way have forgotten 
or we've got too many layers of other stuff on top of 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 our abilities and so like like you guys like you all were saying earlier you know i definitely see that we all have have these gifts and we just need to sort of peel the layers off you know or remember basically remember who we are and remember that we can do that so yeah i just wanted to chime in there with all that thanks I think my signal's probably still too low, so anyone that so wants to talk. Do we have, I know we have a couple of people listening um, tonight. Did any of you want to raise your hand and share um, anything that you've had an experience with around being superhuman? Christine, we're not getting you through. Mm, unfortunately, I'm not hearing everybody else as they continue. I think she was saying, oh. She said she'll stay quiet and to keep going. Yeah. Does anyone have anything they want to add? <laughs> well, I have another funny story. Um, when I was little... I was just taking some, making some notes as we spoke, and um, I remembered when I was little, I had dark blue eyes, and um, I remember I saw a, uh, this girl I used to babysit. She had these gorgeous, gorgeous blue, blue green eyes, and I wanted blue green eyes just like that. I was early elementary school, um, and or middle elementary school, I don't remember, and I really wanted blue green eyes, and I kept speaking to my body for a long time and my eyes started to become blue green so i think really when we don't limit ourselves um and i mean nobody in my family has green eyes everybody has blue blue gray so um that was a fun little thing and now if you look closely at my eyes they have quite a bit of green in them so that's interesting that's really super cool <laughs> samuel fun. Yeah, I had a, I, in a, about 2007, and this was about a year after my awakening, which we discussed last week, everybody. You can listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, I was doing Aikido, and I was very interested in what I was learning about other the yogis I was around and some of the Aikido people I was talking about, who a, most of them were healers in some way. It's amazing how many Reiki people Aikido attracts and bone setters and kahun healers and everything. Anyway, I was in a test, um, taking a test, and I was supposed to be attacked, and there was a command to stop, and everybody's supposed to stop at the command so no one gets hurt. Well, the guy taking the swing didn't hear that, and so he kept swinging, and I had one of those moments where time stopped, and the entire situation from the moment he started to swing at me until that moment ended seemed to last about 45 minutes and I was aware of it of time slowing and the speed of everything and I was perfectly conscious of real time in my head but through my eyes like watching a movie it was all slow motion and I think that's the first time anything superhuman at that level happened to me and it just sort of launched me into I think what and this is why I wanted to tell that story that Monica and a few of the others mentioned on that, that, you know, if you remove the veils and you start to believe those things will happen. And that was the first time um, I had something magical happen to me that was so wonderful and direct. Um, and then very soon after that, I started just magically attracting wonderful people, you know, like, um, like Laura said, who can whisper with animals and and then now here you all are. So I just wanted to affirm what a lot of people were saying, that when you have the belief, um, magical things start happening. That is so awesome, Sam. 
I love that. And, and I think that's a really nice place to close if everyone has been able to share what they wanted to share, that, you know, magical things can happen if you believe. Christine? I'm disagreeing. I don't think I have a good signal yet. Got you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for everybody who joined the room tonight. Elliot, Dan, and Angelo, it was really lovely to have you here. Thank you to all of our speakers, fellow speakers tonight. And we will be back next Tuesday night at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time for another New Earth Network conversation. Hope to see you then. Or, well, thank hear you, you I guess. <laughs> Bye, all. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Oh.